Well, certainly we need to remember the reason for Christmas. Uh, we can get caught up in all the activities, the lights and the gifts and all, and we always do. We get caught up in them. Uh, but we need to remember the reason for the season, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, how God manifest himself in the flesh and was born of a virgin here on this earth so that he could be among people and uh, reveal himself to us. Well, I do have a message this morning, and I want you to pray for me as I try to preach. I've titled, it's got a long title, it's from the text. I've titled the message, Be It Unto Me According to Thy Word. And we're going to be taking our text out of Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 38. Just remain seated today. I'm going to read all these verses to begin with, and then we'll get right into the the message. But Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. Here the Bible says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women." And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Father, bless this word today. God, help us. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I want us to look at this very familiar passage of Scripture, this announcement to Mary that she's going to be having the Holy One, the Son of God. And what a a marvelous uh, passage this is. Uh, Look there at verse 26 again. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, the sixth month doesn't mean it was in June. It just simply means it's six months since uh, Elizabeth had conceived, because the, the text tells us down there in verse 36, this is the sixth month with her. And so that is what that, is, that means. But we find this messenger of God, the angel Gabriel. Uh, there are uh, only two good angels in the Bible that are mentioned by name, and Gabriel is one of them. Michael, the archangel, is the other. Uh, in the New Testament, this is the second time that Gabriel has been sent to deliver a message. It seemed that God had been silent for 400 years between the Old Testament 
and the new, not really anything that we heard from God during that time period. We know that he wasn't asleep, he wasn't dead, he was just uh, waiting for the right time. But here we find that this he sends this messenger angel, uh, uh, and the first time was to Elizabeth and Zacharias to tell them that they were going to have a son. And just like Abraham and Sarah, they they didn't understand how this was possible. The Bible said she was barren, and so therefore they thought it was impossible to have children. Uh, but we know that the case is that God said that she was going to bear a son. He was going to be the forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because that Elizabeth was the cousin to Mary, then that means that John the Baptist and Jesus were also so cousins, they were related to each other, but only six months apart. Now notice that the, Gabriel was sent unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth was just a small town. Nothing important ever come out of Nazareth. Nothing spectacular, nobody famous. Uh, to be from Nazareth, you were automatically labeled as no good. That's why when Nathaniel, the the, uh, the disciple that Jesus was going to call, uh, when he heard about Jesus being from Nazareth, he said this in John 1.46, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And so that was really the, the mindset of the people of that day toward anyone that came out of that place. It wasn't great. But it was no accident that that's exactly where Jesus was to come from because it had been prophesied for hundreds of years that this would happen. <clears throat> Excuse me, that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. In Matthew 2 and 23, the Bible says, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. In fact, everything about the birth of Christ and His life and death and everything about Him is supernatural. It was prophetical. Everything that happened in Jesus, it was always told by the prophets. Every single detail of His birth, His life, His death, it was preordained long before the virgin birth in Bethlehem. In fact, there's over 350 prophetic promises in the Old Testament that speak specifically about the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Look at verse 27. To a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. One important thing to notice is the fact that Luke tells us that uh, uh, the angel came to a virgin. This, of course, also was prophesied. The prophets tell us that was one of the signs of the Messiah. In Isaiah 7 and 14, the Bible says, Therefore, the Lord Himself shall call or shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So, uh, may I say to you this morning: If you cannot believe in the virgin birth of Christ, then you cannot believe the Bible at all. You must believe in the virgin birth if you want to be saved. To be saved, you have to believe in Jesus. And if Jesus is who He says He is, then He must have been born by a virgin because the Bible is says that is how He was going to be born. The truth is, everything that we know about Jesus comes from the Word of God. Everything. That's how we learn about Him. That's how we first, first come to faith in Christ is by hearing the Word. And so this perfect, infallible, God-breathed, inspired, holy book, the source of our faith and practice, 
There's not a mistake in this Bible. There's not some kind of accident. People go around, they try to pull things out and say, see there, there's another accident, another mistake in your Bible. There's no mistake in there. The only mistake is the ones that we make up here in this head. We're not smart enough to understand everything about the Word of God. One of these days we will be, and I'm looking forward to that day. But until then, we just got to believe it. We believe by faith the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Do you see that? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Not part of it. Not just a few things of it. And there's people say, well, Brother Byron, I can believe a lot of things in the Bible, but I can't believe in the virgin birth. Well, you can't believe it all. If, if you don't believe the virgin birth, then you don't believe any of the Bible. Second Peter 1.21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It's God-breathed, this Bible is. The Word of God is inspired. It's breathed on by the Holy Ghost. It's alive. In fact, Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. May I say to you today, if you don't believe in the virgin birth, you don't believe the Bible. There are some liberal seminaries, you may not believe this, but some liberal seminaries are now telling their students that they don't have to believe all the Bible. That some of it is just allegory, some of it is just embellishments, that it's not real events, it's just things that's been, been made up to, to, to try to get a point across, and they don't have to believe it all. Listen, I don't believe in these liberal uh, seminaries. I don't believe in these liberal college uh, educators, I believe they're all lost if they're going to preach such a thing. And so if you say the virgin birth is not real, then you're calling God and the Bible a liar. And I want you to know the Bible says in Titus 1 and 2 that God cannot lie. So when the Bible says that Jesus was born of a virgin, that simply means that Mary had never had any physical intimate contact with a man of a carnal nature. She was pure. She was a chosen vessel that had been chosen specifically by God to give the birth of his son Jesus, to bring the God child into the world. If Jesus is going to be the unspotted, unblemished, perfect lamb that's able to, to die for the sacrifice of the sins of the entire world, he had to be born perfect without blemish. And so, uh, look, he could, his seed could not come from the corrupt first Adam. It had to come from the second Adam. For him to be who and what he needed to be. The Bible says there in verse 27 that she was a spouse to a man. I mentioned this last time, I believe. That espousal that Mary and Joseph were in was a legal binding agreement. It was almost just like a marriage certificate uh, close to it. It was uh, we, uh, a betrothal. It was uh, a legal and binding thing. And uh, they weren't married yet, but they didn't have any kind of physical contact in this this period of time. The spousal age was approximately 12 years old for the women and probably 13 or 14 for the men, the father. And so it's very likely the mother and earthly father of Jesus were around 13 and 14 years old. 
just teenagers. And the only way out of that espousal was by death or by legal means. It says she was espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. I want you to make sure that you, you understand that everything that's in God's Word is in there for a specific reason. It's not just in there to fill up space. You know, the, the, the author of the Bible is God. The human penman write it down, wrote it down. But they didn't say, you know what, this looks like it needs a little more in it. And we'll just add this part. They did not do that. Everything in here, God said, write this down. And it's for a reason. And it tells us the man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Those are very important facts. For Jesus to be the Messiah, he had to be an heir to the throne of David. He was an heir to the throne through, through uh, adoption. By his father Joseph, Joseph was not his natural father, but yet he was his adopted father because he was not the one who actually his seed was not passed to Mary to have Jesus. And so he was still related through the bloodline, had to be traced back to David. And uh, they, uh, the Bible always traces that bloodline through the, the, the male, through, through the, the, uh, the, the father, not the mother. And both Matthew and Luke were given the genealogy of Joseph to prove Jesus' connection uh, to the throne. Now, of course, like I said, Joseph was not Jesus' earthly father, uh, but or his, uh, he was his earthly father, but not his physical father. He was, uh, through adoption, his legal son and heir. But listen to what it says in Matthew 1 and 1. The Bible says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And notice how Matthew listed those. He, he lists David first and then Abraham second. But Abraham was here 1,900 years before David was. And David was here 1,000 years before Jesus was born as the Christ child. Yet Jesus is called the son of David. Matthew's genealogy is the genealogy of the royal bloodline. And Jesus had to be tracked back to David. Now, interesting thing to note, although Joseph was a descendant of that royal bloodline, in that day and time, I, I think I might have mentioned this last time, Joseph was just a poor carpenter. He didn't have any uh, wealth because he was of the, of the bloodline of King David. Uh, even though his blood was royal blood, he didn't have all that. The, they were no longer wealthy in that, in that family genealogy. Uh, they didn't hold any type of influence over anything uh, at that, in that time period. The Bible says, and the virgin's name was Mary. Isn't that something? It just tells us the virgin's name was Mary. Didn't go into a whole bunch of detail telling us about her and where she was from and who her parents was and all this stuff. It didn't go into all that. It just says the virgin's name was Mary. No pop and circumstance, no big introduction, no history, no background, just, just Mary. Mary, uh, the name means exalted. And what an honor it was for this young lady to be chosen by God. To be the mother of Jesus. Look there at verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that are highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now here just a poor teenage girl living in a poor place in the world. We don't know anything about her really. She had a cousin, we, we know that, named Elizabeth. She lives in Nazareth. She's a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph. And that's about all that we know about Mary. Gabriel just appears to her and says, Hail thou that are highly favored. Can you imagine what Mary must have been thinking? Are, 
Are you talking to me? She's never been approached like this before. This is this is just spectacular. It's it's outstanding. And I can I can only imagine what she must have been thinking and feeling and, and wondering. And he just comes to her and tells her she's she's highly favored. That word favor there comes from a Greek word charis, and it means a gift of grace is what it means. And so this means God had bestowed his unmerited grace and favor upon this young lady, Mary. Now, our Roman Catholic friends, they, they read way too much into this phrase. In fact, they've built an entire misunderstanding off these verses. They interpret this as saying, Hail Mary, full of grace. But that's not what this implies. They teach that Mary is full of grace and she bestows grace upon others. Uh, that she's the source of grace. She possesses grace to give, and that's one of the errors of Catholicism. Uh, I had to study that in seminary, Catholicism, and all the, the things that they have brought into the text. Uh, I believe there's Catholics, that they're saved, they're saved, they believe in Jesus, but they have a lot of this, this wrong theology and doctrine that they practice that is not from the Bible. Uh, what they say is actually the complete opposite of what the Bible is saying. The Bible's saying that God bestowed his grace upon Mary, not that Mary's bestowing grace on anybody else. Uh, they also teach that Mary was sinless. And the Bible never says that. In fact, we, we see it implies just the exact opposite. Uh, the Roman Catholics, they pray to Mary as if she can hear them. Mary's not listening to your prayers. She's not in heaven answering prayers, listening to prayers, granting prayers. She's not doing any of that. Um... Uh, Mary needed a savior herself. She was not sinless. That's why it says in Luke 1 and 47, Mary said it, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. She knew she herself had to have a savior, and she recognized that as such. All right, look at verse 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled to his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. All right, if, if Mary was a saint and on, on equal grounds with God and Jesus and uh, she was the bestower of grace and she could hear prayers and stuff, um, then why is she troubled at the saying of Gabriel? Well, because none of that other stuff's true about her. She was just as scared and just as surprised as any 13-year-old girl would have been if an angel all of a sudden appeared unto, unto them and started speaking and telling her all these things. And besides that, she knew herself that she was a sinner. Of course she's troubled at his saying. And one reason is because she knows she's never been with a man. That's, that's one reason she's troubled. How could this be? Because I've never been with a man. Uh, well, the, the Gabriel's not got that far yet. He's just telling her she's highly favored. And so we'll get to that in just a second. But look at verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. You talk about a heavy load to lay on just this young lady. Try to put yourself in Mary's sandals that day. What, it must, what must have been going on in her mind. Uh, no one would ever believe this. I'm sure it's going through her mind. No, 
this is it's not possible, first of all, because I've never been with a man. She, she had never had physical relationships with Joseph or any other man. She knows that fact. And so I'm, she's thinking, how? How in the world can this, this happen? Um, make no mistake about it. Mary fully realizes who it is this angel's talking about that's going to be conceived in her. She knows that for a fact. This is the Messiah that she has always heard about, that her parents sat down and taught her about. Uh, and so she knows it's the Messianic prince, the king of Israel, the anointed one, who would set the captives free. That's what the Israelites were looking for, this one that had been promised. She knows who, he, who he's speaking of. Look at verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And there it is. Don't you just love Mary? Look very closely at that. She did not say, that's impossible because I've never been with a man. She didn't say that. She didn't say, no, that is not going to happen because I've not been with him. She didn't say that. What is it she said? How shall this be? She did not doubt it. She questioned how it was going to happen. She was not up there saying it's not going to happen. She knows it's going to happen. She just don't know how it's possible. And so she's simply asking the Lord, how is this going to happen through me, seeing as I, I know not a man? And I'm sure her head is still spinning from all this. Verse 29 said that she was troubled and cast in her mind. And so she's mentally shaken here. And this is a lot for, for one person to grasp, let alone just a, a young girl. And so Gabriel's going to answer. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible so there he laid it out to her just like it was he says listen i know you don't understand this i know you've not been with a man the fact is that god can do anything in fact the holy ghost is the one that's going to cause this to happen inside of you he's going to as the bible says he's going to overshadow thee and that holy thing shall be born of thee shall be called the son of god and he says and this same thing's happened to elizabeth elizabeth who was barren God calls her to, to have a child through her and her husband. And he says that in verse 37, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Now we know man will fail. Man, man that's, that's our biggest failures. We're failures. And uh, we're going to fail. And we just can't do everything. Even though we may think we can, and we put our, our mind on something, we think we're going to do something. Sometimes it's just not possible with man. But with God, everything is possible. There's nothing impossible with God. That one that you know that's lost and, and so deep in their sins and you think there's just simply no way they're going to ever be saved. That they've lived that way so long and they're so wrapped up in it and anytime anybody's ever said anything to them, they've laughed at them or, or just uh, you know shrugged them off or whatever. And there's just no... Listen, there's still a possibility that God one day is going to reach down and grab that person and, and, and wake them up and show them... You need to be saved. 
I've heard of people that's went all their life, even 70, 80-year-old men that has lived like, lived like the devil all their life, drinking and, and carrying on and, and all this and denying Christ, never going to church. And then they're in 70s and 80-year-old. All of a sudden, the gospel penetrates their heart and they become saved. Friends, with God, all things are possible. That child that you know, that you think they're never going to receive Christ, they're going to grow up without the Lord. You don't know that. Keep praying for them and don't stop bringing them to church. Don't stop that. Some people, they get in their mind that, you know, I'm going to make them mad because I keep asking them and they're going to be mad at me all the time because I keep aggravating them to come to church. Just keep aggravating them because one day God is going to grab their heart. He's going to grab them and they'll be so thankful that you took them to church. They'll be so thankful that you prayed for them, that you loved them so much that you cared enough that they would get saved. Oh, friends, listen, don't give up on God. And so Gabriel don't hold anything back. He's just kind of saying, Mary, wait and see. Wait and see. You're not going to believe it. And so he explains it in, in all that detail. Uh, through God's Holy Spirit, he's going to plant a seed inside of you. It's a God thing. You know, a lot of times we need to understand that a lot of things are just, just a God thing. Uh, we used to go to church with a lady, and she would say that all the time. It's, it's a God thing. Uh, I loved her. She'd look out uh, in, the, in the sky and see something in, in the clouds that reminded her of something. And she'd say, it's a God thing. And uh, we need to, to remember that God does things and it's easy to overlook them. Sometimes we see things as happenstance or circumstance or that was lucky or whatever it was. And we don't see the big picture that God was right in the middle of it. We need to always remember God is working. He's active. He's always in our lives. If you're saved today, he's always working in your life. But you need to be aware of it. You need to always be consciously aware that God is there. He's doing things. And, and recognize that fact. Don't ever go around saying, boy, I was lucky about that. No, no, God blessed me right there. You know, we need to remember that. Look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And I told you I titled the message from that verse right there. Be it unto me according to thy word. I think sometimes we forget about the great sacrifice that Mary actually had to make in her life. Do you know in that day and time and that culture that if she had been found with child and, and she was not married, it was the same law as they had for adultery, stoned to death. That was the law. If a woman become with child and she's not married, it's the same as adultery. We can take her out and we can stone her to death. She was willing to face the fact that she's going to be scorned, she's going to be ridiculed, her life is going to be turned upside down. She knows that. She's been around long enough to, to understand how things work. This is going to be scandalous when it comes out. And so by law, she could have been put to death. And I'm not going to get into the text today, but we do know that Joseph was probably going to put her away. That don't mean he was going to go take her somewhere and kill her. That means he was going to get a decree of divorce from her uh, instead of embarrassing her and, and having her killed and all that. That'll be for another message. But we need to remember today Above everything in our life that God wants from us, our obedience is the number one thing that he wants. Above your church attendance, above how much you read the Bible, above how many times you pray, above how many good deeds you do, God wants your obedience above everything. And if your obedience 
to God is where it should be, all those other things just simply fall in place. They don't get left behind. They don't get forgot about because as long as we're being obedient to God and the Bible says pleasing to Him, pleasing to Him. Do you ever think about that? We want to live in a, in a, in a way that is pleasing to the Lord? Well, the way that we do that is by living in obedience in what He wants from us. Not on our own, not going out there and, and living however we jolly well please. But God, what would you have me do in this situation? God, what do you need for, for my household, for my family, for my children, for my church, for everything in my life? God, help me with this decision. Too many times we fail to, to ask God for His, His will. It's there, it's, it's capable, I'm capable, I have the talent, I have the gift or whatever it is and I'm going to make this happen. But did we stop and say, God, is this what you want from me? Because I just want to be obedient to you, God. We need to do that. Mary is willing to be obedient to God and that's exactly, she says, be it unto me according to thy word. Would to God that each one of us could say that. God, be it unto me according to thy word. Not my word. Not somebody else's word. Not my thoughts. But God, your word. Whatever it is you would have me to do. And may I say this, by the way. A lot of people have come to me over the years and say, Brother Byron, I'm trying to find out what God's will is for my life. My first thing I ask them is, are you reading your Bible? Because His will for your life is in His Word. People want answers from other places. They want to hear some man, some brilliant, smart person, some popular person, whoever it may be. I want to get their opinion, their ideas for my life instead of consulting God for His will. But it's God's will that we live a life of obedience that we live a life of faithfulness, that we live a life that is pleasing unto him. This young virgin that God highly favored has now been announced she's going to have the very Savior of the world. Could you handle that? I think Mary handled it spectacularly. Oh, friends, listen. Without the virgin birth, there's no Jesus, the Savior. Without God manifesting himself in flesh and being born of a virgin there in Bethlehem, there's no Jesus. There's no Savior. Oh, it's all how God works, that one red ribbon that runs all the way from the book of Genesis all the way back in the book of Revelation is Christ the most important thing in our lives? That's why, as we sung the song, don't take Christ out of Christmas, because without him, it wouldn't mean anything. Salvation without Christ is meaningless. It's not salvation without Christ. Brother Scott, would you come and get a song? I want us to stand today, and I want to pray with you. If you have a need today and you need to come to the altar for any reason, you come down. I'd be glad to pray with you if you'd like me to, or you can just come down and pray with yourself. 
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning, Lord, thanking you so much for the message. God, thank you for revealing to us the truth, Lord, about the virgin birth. And uh, God, everything that you say in your word, God, we're so thankful that you blessed us with your word. God, I pray for each individual in this church this morning, God, that you will go and just do a mighty work in their heart, God. And Lord, may we be obedient to you. God, may we consult you on every step that we make, every thought that we have, God, is it in your will. And God, we're praying for this Christmas season, Lord, that uh, we recognize the fact that without Jesus, there's no reason to celebrate. And God, help us. Help those that are lost today, God, if there's one listening to this, maybe uh, by some other means, God, that's never received Christ as their Savior. May this be the day, Lord, that you penetrate that heart, God, and show them the need to be saved before it's too late. Help us now, God, as we sing this invitation song. If there's one that needs help, God, would you help them, Lord? And we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.